0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Teatro. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz.: This morning our passage picks up directly after uh, what precedes precedes, sorry, in Genesis 18 and a quick overview of that. Uh, Abraham's children and a couple of individuals arise on a hill. And he invites them for a meal. He has a meal with them. Um, and the conversation of Abraham having the son comes up. And we hear of Sarah laughing. And there's a little bit of an interchange there. And then our passage comes in straight away, saying that those men who were there for the meal, they got up, looked out towards Sodom as they left. Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Verse 17, should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. I am um, when I was reading this, I'm taking it at face value, and where there's quotation marks saying, "Should I hide my plan from Abraham?" the Lord asked. I'm going to go ahead and gamble the fact that that is genuinely God speaking aloud, having a conversation. I had considered maybe this was like a, the Lord through these men type of thing, um, but we're going to go ahead and say here that, that God is talking, and he's querying, should he have this conversation with Abraham, Should he hide his plan?" And the Lord does decide, after considering who Abraham was to him and what he wants to achieve through Abraham, to have that conversation. And he says that he hears a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. And he tells Abraham that he's going to go down to see if their actions are as wicked as he has heard. If not, he wants to know. Um, These other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, "Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find fifty righteous people living in this city; will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing." Wait, I'm just double checking. I don't know why there was a blank slide there. There is. That's right. It's still here. Surely you wouldn't do such a thing destroying the righteous along with the wicked, why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. This conversation goes on, a little bit back and forth. I'll leave it up here for a moment. And he eventually gets down... To 40, and then he goes to 30, well, 45, 40, 30, so on and so forth. Acknowledging the fact that he is but dust and ashes, and later on understands that he might be angering the Lord by entering into this conversation. In verse 30 it says, Please don't be angry, my Lord. Let me speak, suppose 30. And the Lord says, No, if there's 30, that's fine, we won't do it. Let me continue. What about 20? No, I won't. If you can find 20, that's fine. And again, he goes, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose there's only 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Today I wanted to explore um, what this passage tells us about God, and what it tells us about Abraham. And for me, there are three things that I feel could be captured about God through this passage, and that is that he is responsive, he is relational, and he is reliable. And for Abraham, we see that he is bold, and he is trusting, and he's also an advocate in this scenario. Now, I was a little intrigued because this passage sort of caught me off guard, because Abraham's quite brazen. He doesn't, like he acknowledges the fact that he's dust and ashes and he continues to be like, please don't be angry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower the bar just once more. And as he does that, that's all right. he continues to go lower and lower and lower. And I thought, this is, this is phenomenal. This is Abraham talking with the God of the universe, our creator, and negotiating with him as if it's some common business deal. And so I did a little search, and I said, what are some other times in which individuals have pleaded or petitioned or bargained with God? Just to kind of get an understanding of the context of this conversation. And so i got a couple up here on on the slideshow. So we had Moses' plea when he wished to enter the Promised Land. That one was straight up denied. King David, after his sin, his son fell ill. But King David pleaded for his son's life again, his son still passed. Job petitioned for relief and understanding in in that larger story of Job. That one was granted in a very divine manner. And then Jonah's plea was for God to take his life rather than go to Nineveh. But instead, Jonah ends up learning. We also have Paul asking for the request of the thorn to be removed from his flesh, from his side, And instead, we're told that his grace is enough. And in 1 Kings, we hear of Elijah's prayer for rain during the drought. And initially, that wasn't answered, and then it was. And of course, probably one of the more famous pleas was for Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, for the cup of his suffering to be removed. And so, as it turns out, it's not that uncommon for individuals to plea and to petition with God, to put before them a request in prayer. But what's a little bit different about Our passage is that those petitions often followed the pattern of the individual going to God. They initiated the conversation. Whereas in this instance, God initiated the conversation with Abraham. If you remember at the beginning, we hear of the Lord debating whether or not he should share his plans. And then he goes and he does it. And right near the end, we hear that after the Lord had finished with his conversation, his conversation that he went on his way, and Abraham went back into his tent. I feel that if we were to examine God's thinking and his actions in this particular passage, in his response to Abraham's plea, that we see several aspects of his character revealed. And these are not aspects that are unknown to us or unique to this passage. And I'm just going to remind you again that our passage opens... And the Lord, or God, is debating whether or not he shares. Abraham ends up querying with God whether or not he's likely to lump the righteous and the wicked together, and ends up bargaining all the way down so that ten, if ten individuals are righteous, can we not save the entire city? And it seems that God, in this entire conversation, shows no hesitation or no resistance to Abraham's plea. There doesn't seem to be anger, although Abraham anticipates that there could be. And so, if you consider that conversation, I feel that what we see about this in God is we see his compassion. God listens to Abraham's plea. He takes it seriously. There is justice and a willingness to adapt. He agrees that if, at the beginning, 50 to 45, 40, 30, 20, 10... As that deal goes down, regardless of how many there are that are righteous, he is willing to spare the city on behalf of those. There's patience. If you could tell, I couldn't even be bothered reading through all the specific numbers. I was like, this follows a general structure. We can we can take an assumption here. But God sits and listens as he goes down in this not even linear pattern. We five, and then we five, and then ten, ten, ten. But he engages in that dialogue, and he willingly entertains the requests and the negotiations. And then, of course, we see grace and mercy. We see an open to sparing the wicked for the sake of the righteous. And these are really cool, but these are qualities, as I mentioned, that we see throughout Scripture time and again, and maybe not all in one space. But for me, what I really was intrigued by and what I saw is like an umbrella that has all of these qualities underneath it. Is God's relational nature. Um, I want to highlight a particular uh, part of our passage. We're right at the beginning in verse, let me find it for a moment, 20. The Lord says, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going to go down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. And I was intrigued by this because all throughout Scripture, we're told that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. In Jeremiah 32, we're told that the Lord has made the heavens and the earth by His great power. Nothing is too hard for Him. In Psalm 147, it says, "Greater is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And in Psalm 139, we hear, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And there are thousands of other passages of Scripture that allude to these Aspects of God, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. So why did God need to visit Sodom in order to understand if their sin was as flagrant as he had presumed or as he had heard? And I have a theory. There is a deliberateness and an intentionality in God having this conversation with Abraham. Abraham. It's safe to assume that God did not physically need to come down in order to determine whether or not Sodom and Gomorrah were as bad as he had heard. He was already there. He was already knowing. But for the sake of this conversation, remembering that he initiated this conversation, he was inviting Abraham to participate in his larger redemptive plan. It's also safe to assume that he would know that Abraham might request and come back with this petition, with this plea, and advocate for the people in Sodom. I believe Lot was there at that time, his nephew. And so there's a a juxtaposition there. It's one of my favorite words to bring out. makes me sound real intelligent. It's one of three I use. If you're not familiar with juxtaposition, it's a very fancy way of saying there's a contrast. So when you bring two things together and you're comparing them, they don't necessarily align. There's like a, a huge difference between them. And so in this instance, what we're seeing is his qualities of all powerful, all knowing and ever present, appear directly next to the fact that in a conversation, he's saying, I need to come down and I'm determining whether or not I'll come down. I wanna see for myself. And those two don't necessarily align, but in their peering next to each other, We see here that God wants to engage with us. He wants to involve us in his plans. And he wants to include us in the conversation of redemption. For me, that led me to kind of consider, because this really challenged the way that I perceived God. And it led me to consider some of the ways that he's known. So I've said he's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. And here's some of the other ways that he's referred to in Scripture. He's known as the great I am. He is a creator, a provider, a healer. He's known as the shepherd, judge, and king. He's our righteousness and our peace. Our father, our redeemer, our rock, our comforter, the beginning and the end, and he's also known as the light of the world. That's a pretty massive being. To be known in that many lights, in that many ways and to hold that role that he has, to have that God, and I'm sure in your head you hold some of these, if not all of them, and to hold that in your head and realize that God came to Abraham and said, hey, I'm thinking I should share with him. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm going to do it. Abraham, I'm considering this. For me, That was a real revelation into just how relational god is there's an innate desire in god to be known by us and to know us to include us in his plans for me that's what it shared about who god was what about abraham what does abraham in this passage tell us about people as i mentioned before we see a rather brazen abraham he was very very bold almost arrogant maybe maybe not but he seemed to approach god he understood his position but even in that position was like i'm not willing to let you go ahead with this unless i'm able to put my case out and appeal to your justice and your mercy Normally, for me, what I would do in this particular situation is I would delve into why. I'm not sure if you know that about me. I like asking why. Why did Abraham do this? Why did he petition for these individuals? Was it his nephew? Was there something else going on here? But I feel like there's something more pertinent to explore. What does his petitioning represent for us what does it mean for us and I feel that there's a a real significance here to Abraham's actions this conversation as I've mentioned I've used different words it was a plea it was a petition it was a bargain but in another light he was intercessing interceding on behalf of an entire nation without their knowledge he was attempting to intervene on their behalf. He pleads with God in God's righteousness to spare these individuals. And his intercession reveals his concern for the welfare of others, particularly those that he felt were undeserving of the wrath or to have to deal with the repercussions of someone else's actions. But it also reveals that his trust in God was strong. He trusted in God's justice and mercy, and I'm reminded here of stories, even stories we've heard recently in the congregation, where we hear of other individuals who continually pray for family or friends, and um, we heard again recently Mike shared of a, a fellow youth leader, I believe, uh, long ago, who ended up giving him his Bible, as he said, "Hey, I'm not going to need this," and for a long period of time he had left and he's recently reconnected him with Mike and said that he's back and if you know Mike we know he would have been praying for him that entire time I think of um, Gay who shares of individuals that she's praying for and so here for me I saw Abraham as an advocate he stood on behalf of these other people who in some respects, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how this actually turns out, were deserving, they were wicked. And it made me question for myself whether or not I could hold a similar position. I kind of feel like if I was to have a conversation with God and he was sharing his plans with me or his thoughts with me, I'll be like, yeah, okay, yes, sir. No problem at all. In fact, often when I have a conversation with Rochelle and I'll, I'll be sharing something and, a, and she offers like a different point of view, I'm like, I get a little bit defensive because I'm like, well, I thought I was like on the right track here, but the fact that you don't agree with me makes me think that maybe I'm not on the right path. You know, I hold her in a high esteem. And so if she has a different point of view, and I do that for a number of individuals, I query maybe whether I'm in the right place. If I'm on the right path, if I'm thinking and seeing things in the right way. And so to see Abraham here go to an all-knowing, all-powerful God who created this universe, who has an entire plan, and be like, excuse me, I think you might be wrong. I think if you consider what we know of you, the fact that you're a judge, but you're, you're just, you're merciful, you're compassionate, maybe, just maybe, if we can find X amount of people All the way down to 10, I feel like we don't have to go down your route. And I say here, you know, I don't know about you, but you might be thinking the same thing. You know, if we were to advocate for the people in this community, and Brian, you mentioned it with the lunch, that you're so grateful for this community, and you think that maybe out there people don't have that, you might be querying whether or not you're in that position. And so I had that question, but then I thought, this is in the Abraham we've seen throughout the entire passage of Genesis. There was a time where he was in Egypt and he asked, was asked, is that your wife? And he says, no, that's my sister. There was a time where God said, how are you going to have a son? And he kind of doubted that. There's a lot of situations in which Abraham operated in hesitation or fear. He was scared. Or times when, when he made a plea or a prayer, put a prayer request before God was for his benefit. And so this passage shows us an increased boldness and confidence. In Genesis 12, I said he displayed hesitation. He was even deceptive in relation to God's promises, the fact that he had that promise because he cared more about his safety. And we see a deeper trust in God's character, As Abraham engages in dialogue with God, we see his trust deepening, his ability to go from 50 to 10. He understands that God is willing to meet him where he is. And he realizes that God is just and righteous. And he becomes increasingly convinced of God's nature. So what does this mean for us? What can we take away here? And there's a couple of things that came to mind for me. On a personal level, I feel like we can continue to be challenged in our perception of God, have our understanding of who He is expanded, to reflect on how we perceive Him. I know sometimes it's easy to see Him through the light of your circumstances or through your own experiences. Let us be mindful that God is relational, that He initiates conversations, that He has gone and through Jesus on the cross has given everything He can in order to have a free and open space for you to come to Him. That door is there. Let's take note of His faithfulness and how, as I shared about those other pleas or petitions, that things sometimes don't always come to fruition the way that we may want. This conversation could have gone an entirely different way. David, when he pleaded for his son, was denied. The promised land was kept from the Israelites for a a huge period of time. But in God's timing, and in ways that we may not expect, like when Paul got given grace that was sufficient for the burden that he was carrying. That we know that God's wisdom and love is still at work. But lastly, and to this question on the board, sorry, I'm used to teaching, the board, it's a screen. Let's take note of our call to action and who we are called to advocate for. And as I was kind of piecing this together, um, considering its application, I was reminded of a couple of things, um, both in recent Um, conversations that we've had as a congregation and in the last few years. And I know, Bill, you've gotten up a couple of times recently and you shared about your healing journey. And I must admit, when I first heard that, I thought that you meant you were being healed and that there was a journey. But you've said that you feel there is a gifting. And I know I've experienced it. I know Warren's experienced it. And for you, there was a sacrifice that needed to take place in order to say, yes, I'm willing to be your servant God. And you kind of got up here... Uh, maybe six weeks, two months ago, and you said, hey, this is my calling, what's yours? And you asked the congregation to consider and go out, and then the next time you got up, I thought, as a host, fellow host, I thought, this is great. You said, hey, what's everyone done? You know, and we're kind of sitting there thinking, oh, maybe I haven't done anything. And then you got up last week and you said, hey, I understand that the way that may have been conveyed is not what I meant. I'm eager to hear how we as a congregation are working in our gifts, And for you, you're advocating on the behalf of those who are sick or injured. And for us, that may not look the same, but we can be advocates for individuals, other people, other communities. I was reminded, and I shared earlier of Mike's story of his friend who he prayed for. For all that time, I think it was close to 30 years. And to have not given up and to see God's fulfillment after such a long period of time, I'm sure there are individuals in this congregation who might have been praying for individuals for a longer time, and you haven't seen that happen yet. But an encouragement to continue to advocate. And then I was reminded of partners that we have around the world Marcus and Beth, you used to be over in Thailand, and we have your brother Tim, and I'm sorry, I forgotten now Angela over in Saudi Arabia. I'm allowed to say that and so I don't know if I'm allowed to say that one. But we have people around the world I didn't mean to touch my mother, who are doing things on behalf and out of the extension of this chapel. Can we advocate for them? Can we pray on their behalf for what they're doing in their nation? And then I was reminded lastly as well, and you got it on your t-shirt here, Brian. Follow Jesus NZ and the Ten Towns Initiative. I remember, I bring this up from time to time, but I remember sitting in that room we're doing a DBS study in Cam, and you were talking, and I don't even remember the passage, but I just remember, no, yeah. And so there was a gathering of the demonic. There was a guy who had a legion of demons, and Jesus comes along and casts them out. And he says to the guy, He goes straight home, and he ignores him, and he goes past all these different towns on the way home, telling them of what had happened. And for us, the parallel we drew was. You know, which, which towns are we going to on our way home to tell of what God's done? And I know we used to have uh, walking prayer meetings where we'd walk these streets, and I think Minica and David were involved in that. And so there are things that we have done and continue to do as we are called to be advocates for our community, first and foremost, but beyond those walls as well. And I was really challenged but encouraged in that. And while that may seem like another request, or maybe you might be wondering how exactly that looks for you. What I came to as I pondered over this in the last couple of days, I finished writing my sermon up and I was sitting there and I was thinking about it. and I was like, it's not quite it. It's not just, it's been advocate. And I was reminded that in this passage, it was Abraham who responded to God because God had initiated the conversation. God was the one who brought up his plan, his concerns, and put forward to him this fact that he was going to go and visit this town to see if it was true. And he allowed Abraham to respond to that. That out of a relationship where God initiated and established that sense of trust, equality might not be the right word, but he welcomed him to participate in the conversation. It was from there that Abraham felt he could be bold enough to advocate on behalf of Sodom. And the same is true for us. I know here we talk a big game about obedience. I know in the Great Commission it says, go and teach them your commandments. And it doesn't end there. It says, go and teach them to obey. And obedience is the bedrock on which we can stand. And that's what brought me to you, Bill when I was thinking about what you were saying, was your call wasn't just to be like, hey, what gift do you have? Go and do it anywhere and everywhere. But to consider and listen to God in moments where, I know for me, I'm an encourager. And at work, I, from time to time, feel a prompting to just share some encouragement with someone. I get real specific, hey? Like, I talk about a specific moment or a specific... And I, I try, and to the best of my ability, offer not a broad-sweeping statement but hey, in this moment when I see this and you do it like that, I see this in you. And I don't intentionally try and reach into their souls, but that comes out. And the amount of times I've encouraged one of my deputy principals and he's come back to me, I've just sent him a text. I've thought about him the whole day and then I send him a text at the end of the day. And he comes to me like a week later and goes, you know what, I had the worst week of my life that week as a DP. I was considering quitting, and then I got your text. And so for me, when I respond and I advocate in that nature, I'm doing it out of a sense or a prompting. And that's what I want to leave you with today. That we have a God who initiates relationship with us, that gives us the foundation for which we can intercede with Him, to converse with Him, to negotiate and to advocate for people. But to listen to that calling, that prompting, that in each of your own gifts, whatever that looks like, that you would respond in tow. And sometimes that starts small, and you're not sure. We heard last week Mike talk about the different ways we can hear from God. And there are different ways, and this is one of them from the community. So right now, I believe you're hearing from God to in your own gifting operate, and to continue to pray and intercede for individuals. Thank you for listening to this message from The Chapel in Atatū. For more information about The Chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.